Welcome to Spark My Muse, everybody. This is Lisa DeLay, your host, and this is Soul School, Avarice and Sadness. I'm doing a short series on the eight afflicting thoughts taught by Evagrius Ponticus, a desert father in the late 300s and early 400s CE. He was a spiritual guide to all sorts of people who came out to the desert to find him living as a hermit. He guided them in their lives, prayed with them, and most of his life was dedicated to contemplative prayer and translation work. Up until now, I've covered gluttony and lust and fornication, two of the eight afflicting thoughts that Evagrius speaks about leading us towards sin. The thoughts in and of themselves are a natural part of being a human being. It's when we give our attention, energy, or focus to these afflicting, repeated thoughts that they can become problematic, troublesome, or damaging and sinful. Today I'm going to tackle two at the same time, avarice and dejection or sadness. Both of these historically have been misunderstood, and you might have a misunderstanding of them now. This is part of the reason why I'm hoping that these soul schools on afflicting thoughts can help us predict the kind of weather patterns that we have in our internal climate, in our wild land within. What I'm going to read about avarice starts on page 86 of my book, The Wild Land Within, Cultivating Wholeness Through Spiritual Practice. This is not a book focused on spiritual practices. There is one practice per chapter that you can engage in. This book is really about understanding the hidden places in our inner world, the wounds, the desires, the ambitions, and the real nature of these places we cannot see. In the parable of the four soils, Jesus describes this inner territory, whether it's fertile, whether it's full of thorns and weeds, whether it is soil that has rockiness right under the topsoil, or if it's soil that has turned into a footpath, hard packed down and impenetrable. Those are metaphors for the inner life. My book expands on the metaphor to include an entire world and an ecosystem with which we can become more familiar. So let's talk about avarice. Avarice, or the love of money, is sometimes misunderstood as being tempted to be miserly, to hoard, or to be greedy. Although all those are eventually sins, as they withhold essentials from the needy. What Evagrius is warning about is something different. The afflicting thought of avarice that Evagrius focuses on, one that can lead to distraction from prayer and eventual sin, is actually more foundational to our ways of being. In Greek, philagoria relates to the worry about finances. A common concern among those in the desert setting was, will I be able to get by? Or how will I manage when I get old and who will take care of me? Just an aside here, the people in the desert that Evagrius was speaking to were those who had left the urban city centers where Christianity had become prominent because Constantine had made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. And this gave Christianity a new kind of clout, social status. It became something that the wealthy and the powerful would engage in in order to further their careers or their status. One particular reaction to this was by the devoted Christians who didn't want to compromise their faith with the spoils of luxury and ease. They chose a new kind of martyrdom, 
which was to go out and live a simple or ascetic life that didn't consist of fine foods or comforts. Remember that because of their commitment to celibacy, some of the ascetics did not have children who would care for them when they were elderly. Their commitment to poverty meant, too, that they could not pay for caretakers in their final years. Financial concerns are common today. As many of us wonder if we will have enough, life is uncertain, and we deeply desire to feel secure. Because these thoughts can trigger common core wounds of safety and security and of power and control within all of us, thought ruts can grow into avarice. We think, will God really provide everything, or will I be in desperate need? A scarcity mentality creates an anxious life. These persistent questions can grow into compulsive worries that we try to remedy on our own in actions of desperation rather than moving along with God in a posture of trust. This afflicting thought was later changed to the sin of greed in the seven deadly sins as outlined by Pope Gregory many hundreds of years later. Like a storm can lead to a flood or a mudslide, avarice can lead to other things too, like envy, despair, wrath, and hopelessness. There is no magic trick or simple answer to snap us out of avarice, but a long walk in the right direction makes a big difference. A few practices, if done regularly, can give us perspective and protection from the bad weather of avarice. Challenge your presumptions or unchecked notions about sufficiency. Question and disrupt them regularly. Be generous even when it feels uncomfortable. Ordinary practices of generosity can thwart the weather of avarice from seeping into your perspective and warping your sense of reality. If we let the unconscious false assumptions that God is limited and has limited resources, avarice will affect us. So just to review, avarice is often considered a synonym of greed or greediness. But really, avarice goes deeper. The afflicting thought of avarice goes deep down into our ideas of sufficiency and God's provision. We can be tempted to hoard. We can be tempted to come up with schemes to make sure we feel cared for and secured, not just now, but also in the future. And what can happen with these repetitive, repeating thoughts of avarice is that we try to solve our own problems rather than depending on God and walking with God in the present moment. We're pulled out of the moment we're in to worrying about a future time, which we neither know anything of or can control. Again, I should say that these afflicting thoughts, these logismoi or thought ruts, are like cracks in our heart. They're vulnerabilities because we're human mammals they are not sinful in and of themselves, but quickly, depending on our particular wounds or our personalities, afflicting thoughts can really demand a lot of attention and start to control our decisions. Now I'm going to read about dejection or sadness, which is number four out of eight of the afflicting thoughts, and this begins on page 88 in my book. Dejection or sadness, this afflicting thought is perhaps most accurately described as debilitating nostalgia. For the ascetic, memories of a better or easier life 
can keep one from staying in the present moment, or offering focused prayer, or being grateful. Everyone gets sad, but ongoing dejection in the Greek lupe hampers spiritual maturity. When preoccupied by thoughts of one's former way of life as a better one, the ascetic will be diverted from growing in intimacy with God. Just like the early desert monastics, we can persistently think of the past or the future. This will create discontentment and low spirits, and it will hinder our spiritual progress too. Learning to want what we have and to be where we are, even when it gets boring or troublesome, is a test of our mettle. Character development and spiritual maturity come not through times of pleasure and ease, but from learning fortitude and faith during demanding times. Evagrius knew that becoming aware of the predictable sadness that comes during tedious expenses of the day, activities we dislike, and arduous situations is actually good preparation for standing firm through trials. Focusing on the present moment, not longing for the past or being distracted by the future, and sensing that God is with us in this very moment, is to focus on the truest reality available to us. Years after Evagrius's work, Pope Gregory the Great took components of both this afflicting thought and acedia, which we will look at soon, and exchanged them for a new category called sloth. In his list of seven deadly sins, he saw that sadness could acquire paralyzing and selfish features, which could create sins of omission and inactivity. In these cases, the self, not God, is the center of one's world and one cannot be bothered to do what is needed to be faithful and fruitful. Once again, it's good to remember that sadness and dejection themselves are not sinful, according to Evagrius. They are ordinary human feelings that blow in from time to time. These feelings will soon spoil our day and our progress when we give them extra power through our attentions. The sadness weather soon soaks us and keeps us soggy. Giving ourselves the grace to notice these feelings, understand them, and accept them for what they are, without shame or condemnation, can help us deal with them promptly and honestly, and then bid them goodbye. Ignoring them, stuffing them down, or running from them, keep us unaware, and therein may be a storm system that will circle us for too long. So sadness and dejection can be a sort of serious thing we fall into, or it can just be a bump in the road. Sometimes we just feel bummed out and blue. There can also be sadness and depression in a way that needs medication. That's not what I'm referring to as this afflicting thought. The afflicting thought is really a repeated temptation to not be happy with the way things are right now, to long for the past or to pine away for the future, and in doing so, not be present for what's happening now, for the people in your life now, for the situations in your life now, and to pray and connect with God now. What Evagrius advises for the afflicting thoughts, all eight of them, is to live with continual meaningful reflection on what is happening within you. By reflecting, but not obsessing, we can be honest about what we're feeling, contend with it, and move on. As the feelings inside become distracting or overwhelming, that's when we sense helplessness or hopelessness. Evagrius knows that our intimacy with God is an entire journey 
when we take an hour at a time and a day at a time. This way, the burden is light and the load is possible to carry, especially when we share it with others. I hope that you might pick up The Wildland Within if you haven't already and get one or two other people at least or a book club together to discuss it together and go over it chapter by chapter, perhaps one chapter a week. In doing this, you'll find so much more comfort in the journey. People who've done book clubs with my book have come to me and told me how powerful and transforming it's been. And that is such a prayer answered for me. I thank you for listening to Spark My Muse, and I invite you to go back to listen to Keith Giles in the previous episode. It's a fantastic exploration of what Jesus did on the cross and what God's response is to our sin. It's surprising good news that we don't hear enough. And also, please support me at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse. At that website, you'll find extras to every single episode. You'll find posts from me, behind the scenes things, photographs, and it's a way to keep the show running. I rely on the support of listeners to pay for what I'm doing here each week. It means so much to me that you come alongside me and support me, whether it's at a dollar, five or ten dollars. There are no small gifts, and I appreciate them very much. May God bless you.